If you listen close, everybody put your hand up to your ear like this. If you listen really hard and close, somewhere in the world you will hear a child singing the song, Jesus loves me, right? You can put your hand down now. <laughs> it's the most it's one of the most well-known songs in the whole world. Often it's one of the first songs that people who believe in Jesus teach their toddlers. I remember, absolutely remember clearly teaching it to my boys, and I kind of wish I could like have my Back to the Future DeLorean and take you back to that time. Actually, you know what? Maybe I can. Roll it. Now sing, Jesus loves me. Yeah, that's right, that's right. That kid, that kid gets his vibrato from me, I think. <laughs> Seriously, I feel like I need to watch that video like every day of my life just because of the joy that's in it, right? And that's my youngest son, Owen, who's actually, believe it or not, about to turn seven in July. Ugh, I'm so old. Ugh. <sighs> The reason why we teach our kids that song at such an early age is because we want them to know, even before they can fully grasp it, right, the truth about Jesus' love for them. We want them to know that Jesus loves them unconditionally, and that as they grow, that love of Jesus can transform the way that they love others, and that no one or nothing they can do can separate them from the love of Christ. We want them to know this at as, at as early age as possible because we want them to accept this profound truth and, and have them make it as a cornerstone of their life as they grow. And, and yet as we grow older, the song kind of loses its potency, right? Like the simplicity of the truth behind the song is easily taken for granted. We move on to other concepts like whether there's predestination versus free will and we worry about what the end times are going to look like and all those things are important, but sometimes I think believers can get so caught up in that stuff that they take for granted the profound yet extremely simple truth of Christ's affections for us. So we kicked off this new sermon series last week called This I Know. We're using it as a reminder for all of us of the personal, intimate nature of Christ's love for us. That just receiving that love can turn how we love others upside down in a transformative way and that you can never do anything to earn Jesus' love but also the fact that nothing can separate us from that love either. No matter what I've done, the fact still remains that yes, Jesus loves me, right? Last week, Professor Ricardo spoke on, this, on the personal nature of, of Jesus' love for us. He, he took us through many scriptures, but 
One that really stuck out to me all week has been John 10, 14 and 15. In this scripture, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. In this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd and to us as his sheep, which I think is one of the most unintentionally humorous things in the Bible. Because I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but they're dumb and they're messy, right? And like they need someone to protect them so they don't get like eaten alive, right? And I think if we're really being honest with ourselves, that's actually a pretty good description of mankind, right? Like, um, but luckily, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He tells us that he knows his own and his own know him. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus knows you? Like, like Anna was talking about earlier, that was so beautiful. Thank you, Anna, for sharing that. Jesus knows you. He knows your strengths. He knows your pitfalls. He knows what makes you tick. His love for you is a personal love. He knows you and wants to be known by you in relationship. And even despite the fact, or maybe even because of knowing us so deeply, He says He will lay down His life for us. But if we let it penetrate us to the core Jesus' love for us can transform who we are and the way we love others. We're going to romp around the book of John today. Um, the uh, Yes, hold on, I lost my pot. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, okay. So we're going to romp around the book of John today a bit, uh, beginning at chapter 13, and there's a, there's a, there's a lot of ground to cover. I mean, we're, we're, there's a lot of ground to cover, so hold on to your bow ties and your Sunday bonnets, because we're going to fly through this baby. Um, if you would please turn with me to John 13, beginning at verse 31. While you turn there, let me give you a little setup as to where we are in the life of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples have just concluded the final Passover meal they would have together, which is widely known as the Last Supper. And shortly after the meal, in a staggering act of humility, Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. This was a symbol of how Jesus was about to wash away their sins on the cross, but they wouldn't fully understand that until his resurrection. After this beautiful act of service to his disciples, Jesus begins to explain how he is aware that one of them, his own disciples, is going to betray him. He identifies Judas as his betrayer to the group and tells him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus knows that the hour of his death is coming and basically tells Judas, hey, let's get on with it. Where we're going to pick up this first scripture is right after Jesus has left them to go betray Jesus. So let's read John 13, 33-35. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I, will also, I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Judas goes off into the night, right? And um, he goes out to act on the betrayal that was in his heart, and which, which sets a pretty ominous tone for the verses ahead. Jesus continues to pull, uh, pull his remaining 11 disciples close, Bringing, bringing them close and begins to tell them what comes next for, for them. And he says, where I'm going now, you cannot come. But I have a new commandment for you, and it's this. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. And Jesus says that by this love, people will know you are my disciples. Pretty incredible stuff. I love how Jesus, even though he is about to die an agonizing, painful death, he's still shepherding his flock. He's still teaching. He's still caring. He hasn't, for, he, he hasn't lost focus on what's truly important. This new commandment to love one another upon first hearing it actually doesn't seem all that new, right? There, there's, there's plenty of places in the Bible where it tells us to love each other. Um, way back in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 9, when the law is being laid out, um, verses 17 and 18 say, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And even Jesus Himself, when... When he was asked what was the greatest commandment, what did he say? He said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So why now, sometime later, is Jesus saying He's giving us a new command to love each other. What's the difference? Is Jesus like cracking up or something? Like, like has, has He forgotten that He already said that? Like, that happens to me sometimes. Um, that happens to me sometimes. I had to do it. Sorry. <laughs> but, so, I... Has Je- Jesus hasn't forgotten. It's a different command, Right? Let's read it again in John 13, beginning at 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another just as I have loved you. Don't just love your neighbor as yourself. Love them as I, Jesus, have loved you. As they say in the Wizard of Oz... Well, that's a horse of a different color, right? (laughs) Just those few words make a world of difference in the newness of this command, right? So that begs the question of how is Jesus' love for us different than the neighborly love we tend to have for each other, right? Uh, For the answer to that question, we're going to continue on in the book of John and look at a specific relationship between Jesus and one of His disciples. And how Jesus' love transformed Him and the way that He loved other people. The Apostle Peter is one of my favorite people in the Bible to read about. Peter was originally a fisherman 
before he met Jesus. And actually, even his name was different before he met Jesus. His name was Simon. And, and, and uh, some of the scriptures we're going to read today actually still refer to him as Simon. But Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means rock, right? Rock. I love, I, I love Peter because he's, 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 he's passionate, right? He's like an all or nothing kind of guy, much like myself. And, and like, uh, Jesus, you know, goes to watch, wash Peter's feet and Peter's like, no way, Lord, you're not going to touch my feet. Like, what are you doing? And Jesus is like, well, tough man, I got to, like, I'm going to do it. Right. And, and Peter's like, oh, well, if you, if you have to go ahead. Yeah. Oh, and get my hands and, and my hair too. And what, what kind of conditioner do you have? You know, like Peter's like an all or nothing kind of guy. And we actually had a discussion in our grow group one time. This is this is pretty fun. We had a discussion in our grow group about um, uh, which Avenger character Jesus's disciples would be, right? And and uh, and I said I said Peter was probably the Hulk because he's always like getting all worked up, you know. Like Jesus Jesus tells him that he's going to die on the cross, and Peter's like. Lord, this shall never happen. Never. never. You know, like. Right, yeah. Peter wasn't the brightest crayon in the box, but he was always eager to learn and serve Jesus. Peter was an all-in kind of guy, never less than 110% that one. Which makes what we are about to read a little surprising. Let's continue on in John 13, 36 through 38. Now this is directly after what we read previously. Jesus had been told his he had told his remaining disciples that he was going away and that they couldn't come with him and and uh, Jesus gave them the new commandment to love each other as he has loved them. And so what happens next? That's what, what happens next? That's so shocking to Peter. Um, let's read uh, starting at thirty six. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered to him. Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Peter says, Lord, I want to come with you. Don't you know I would lay down my life for you? And Jesus is like, come on, Peter. Cool your jets, man. I'm not sure why Jesus went all Bart Simpson on him, but um, but uh, but before morning, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to pretend like you don't even know me three times, right? And and you know. Jesus has never lied. Jesus has always told the disciples the truth, even when they didn't understand it yet. So, sure enough, a few chapters later, Jesus takes his disciples to a garden where he knows that they're they're about to meet Judas and some and some guards that mean to take him into custody. And and the two parties meet in the garden, and Jesus tells the guards that he is the one that they seek, right? And and, and to let his disciples go, but. But after Jesus said this, Peter drew this small sword that he had with him and, and cut off one of the servant um, of the high priest's ear. Jesus immediately heals the man's ear, keeping Peter out of trouble. Jesus basically says to Peter, look, 
This is the Lord's will. Am I not supposed to do what the Lord has instructed me to do? Once again, Jesus proving that He is the Good Shepherd and that He willingly lays down His life for His sheep. The soldiers then took Jesus captive and brought Him before the high priest. Peter and the other disciple who is believed to be John followed them at a distance and they followed Him right into the compound where Jesus is being questioned by the high priest. And as Peter is standing there in the belly of the beast pretending like trying to hide how afraid he is, a servant girl asks him, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And just as Jesus predicted, Peter said, I am not. Later on, Peter's getting a little bit more confident in in his safety, and, and it must have been cold because he works up the courage to go warm himself by a fire that was surrounded by servants and soldiers of the high priest. And in John 18, 25-27, the other people around the fire begin to get suspicious of Peter. They say in verse 25-27, through 27, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. The whole thing played out just as Jesus said, right down to the crow of the rooster. Can you imagine the shame Peter must have felt? Can you imagine the stream of thoughts that went through his head when he heard that rooster? We actually don't hear from Peter again in the book of John until after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus Christ went from that compound and, and went to the cross and took all of the punishment for mankind's sin upon Himself. He died a bloody death, but on the third day He was raised to life, de- life defeating death once and for all. And through Him, we can choose to have our every sin washed away after, after His resurrection. Jesus began to appear to His disciples three specific times, in fact. The last of which He found some of His disciples fishing in a boat. This section of John in chapter 21, the very beginning of the chapter, it's such an incredibly beautiful story, but, but we don't have time to get into it this morning. So I want to urge you this week, during your quiet time with the Lord, check that story out. Beginning of John 21, there's a beautiful story there. Um, so for the sake of time, after the disciples leave the boat and come to meet Jesus on dry land, They all ate breakfast together from the fish that they had caught. And afterwards, Jesus and Peter have this incredibly intimate moment. We read about it in John 21, 15 through 18. John 21, 15 through 18. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So what just happened there? Why does Jesus ask Peter three times if he loves him? What's the significance of the three times? Why does Jesus keep talking about his sheep? It's really easy to miss if you're not paying attention. Beginning at verse 15 in chapter 21, Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter, breaking through the elephant in the room and simply asks Peter, do you love me? Not quite understanding yet what's going on, Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And before the conversation could go anywhere else, Jesus asked again, Peter, do you love me? Confused, I'm sure, Peter said, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And Jesus asked a third time. And I just imagine Peter's eyes growing wide. Just like realizing what's going on. Peter, do you love me? Jesus said. With tears in his eyes, Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus again said to him, feed my sheep. What's happening here in this exchange, what's happening here in this conversation is transformation. What a beautiful exchange. Jesus seeing the cloud of shame over Peter's life and is forgiving the guilt of his three denials by asking him a simple question. But when Peter replies, Jesus doesn't just say, well, okay, we're good now. We're good now, buddy. Jesus responds to Peter with a charge, a commission, a job to do. Jesus, who is the good shepherd and knows his own and is willing to lay down his life for them, is asking Peter to tend his flock, take care of his followers. Jesus, in essence, is handing down his job as earthly shepherd to Peter. Jesus predicted this earlier on in the New Testament when he said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus lifts the haze of guilt off of Peter and reminds him of the path that God has laid out before him. Jesus reminds him that he changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock, remember, for a purpose. That he is the rock that the church will be built on. What an incredible moment. And although Peter still has his moments, for the most part, 
From this point on, Peter becomes an incredible leader for the early Christian movement. Peter was the first one to preach on the day of Pentecost after the coming of the Holy Spirit. He was the, one to, the, he was the first one to proclaim Christ to a Gentile, which is a non-Jewish person. He became one of the most boldest apostles of all. He willingly suffered persecution, imprisonment, beating, and even rejoiced at the fact that he was worthy to suffer disgrace for the Lord's sake. The last part of that feed my sheep section of Scripture, Jesus says this thing in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, like, on a surface level, that's kind of a weird thing for Jesus to say in the moment. But what He's referring to is Peter's death. The clothes Jesus is referring to are prison clothes. And in saying He will stretch out His hands, Jesus is specifically referring to a cross which Peter would die on. In fact, many believe that Peter himself said that he was unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. So when He was crucified, many believe that He requested to be crucified upside down. That's the kind of person Peter became. He was transformed from a nobody fisherman who was very passionate but misguided to this incredible leader of Christ's church who loved others with Christ's transformational love and who helped thousands upon thousands of people know the saving knowledge of the Gospel of Jesus. Talk about transformation. But what does this transformation look like in our own lives today? It all comes down to that new commandment Jesus gave the disciples. Love one another one another as I have loved you. Not as yourself, but as I have loved you. I think we can learn a lot about how to love others with Christ's love by looking at how Jesus loved Peter. Christ's love is agape love. Ricardo talked about it last week. Agape love is a, it, agape is a Greek word for love, meaning the highest form of love. Agape love embraces a universal, unconditional love that transcends and that serves regardless of circumstances. That's the love Jesus had for Peter and has for us. That's the love that Jesus is commanding that we have for others. No matter how many times Peter, Jesus messed up, or I mean, sorry, Peter messed up, Jesus never messed up. Let's get that straight, okay? I'm going to get some emails for that one probably. (laughs) No matter how many times Peter messed up, And said something dumb. Jesus was always there to forgive him. Thank you, Lord. And in some cases, help him forgive himself, right? Jesus always forgave without expectation of return. He always was there to love Peter, even when it wasn't convenient. Even when Peter was being kind of annoying. 
He loved them. And the list goes on and on and on. But for us today, I think we need to ask ourselves a couple of tough questions. How in our own lives have we been Peter? Do we have this haze of shame that's just hanging over our life? Is there an elephant in the room between us and God that God is just waiting to cut through anxiously? Are we willing to allow ourselves to be transformed by Christ's love? See, the flip side to that coin is that if Jesus is calling us to love others as He loved us, are we capable of being like Jesus in the Peter story? Always putting others above ourselves. Always loving. Always forgiving. Being willing to trust someone with something very important even when they've blown it in the past. Is there conditions on our love? Or is it unconditional? Does our forgiveness have undertones of expectation? Or is our forgiveness limitless? See, these are questions we have to ask ourselves. Because the transformational part of Christ's love, get this, the transformation, the transformational part of Christ's love comes in when we not only receive that agape love from Christ, but when we then love others with that same love that has loved us. That's the true transformation. When we not only receive that agape love from Christ, but when we then love others with that same love that has loved us. That's transformation. So as the worship team comes and the ushers come forward, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, Transform us. You know our innermost being, Lord. You know the depths of our hearts, Lord. You know the darkest places in us, Lord. Nothing is hidden from Your sight. Father, we ask You, Lord, come, fill us, open our eyes to our sin, Lord. burden our hearts to lay it before You. Lord, wash away our sin. Father, transform us. Lord, let us not put expectations on our forgiveness. Lord, let us not love with condition. Let us imitate You, Father. Let us love with the same love that has loved us. Father God, we, we, we recognize Your presence in this place. Jesus Christ, Son of God, we recognize Your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, we recognize Your presence in this place and we say, have Your way, flow through this place. 
like a mighty wind. Father, as we take our offering this morning, Lord, we bring before you what is already yours. You have given us everything, every time, every possession. We bring it back to you now, Lord, and we say, take it and have your way. May this church be prospered by our giving. May this city be prospered by our giving. May the nations be prospered by our giving. And may all of those come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just lift up world missionaries right now. I think of Douglas, who was with us a few weeks ago, who's working in the slums of Nairobi. Lord, when he sets foot back on his ministry ground, I pray that you lift that man up. I pray that you encourage him, Lord, that you meet him in a special way. Father, that that ministry would begin to happen like he's never imagined. Father, we bring before you what is already yours.